0: Hey guys, we are back with yet another episode here, Your Life, God's Word, and now we're getting into some of the nitty-gritty of church government. We um, we just had an episode where we showed the necessity of governance within the body of Christ and that we, we don't want any of the extremes of monarchy or anarchy. Uh, we want that balanced middle that is taught in Scripture, and so you can go check that out if you would like to. But this time... We're going to dive a little um, a little deeper into the specifics of how God structured the church when it comes to governance. Now, this is coming straight from Scripture. I would love to hear if you have a different opinion, if you'd like to comment or share or reach out, contact us, um, podcast at com. If you have any questions or anything or would like to contact us, podcast at breadbreakers.com and um i I think this is going to step on a few people's toes just because there's there's certain structures within within the church that come more from tradition than from true truly going back to the scriptures when i say tradition i mean like like man-made tradition not scriptural tradition and um so again it it might be something that's that that that's new but not new should be really like old school but might be new might be the first time you ever heard this some of this stuff and I don't think this is one of those things that I mean you're just going to be you're going to die and uh, burn in hell forever because you don't get the setup of the church organizational structure uh, completely correct as per Scripture. I do think we're opening ourselves up to uh, some problems, some issues potentially, um, if we don't get it right, or depending on how how wrong we have it. And I'll, I might explain some of that. Here, But we are going to do a lot of Bible study, getting right into the Scriptures, really picking apart what the Scriptures are telling us about this stuff, and um, a little bit nitty-gritty here. So it it may be um, a little more uh, Bible-filled than you're used to in some, uh, well, frankly, and even some Bible studies, but hopefully not too much because it is the Word of God, and that's where we really should be going (laughs) for our source of truth. So, let me jump into this, a couple of scriptures to open up with, one from Titus chapter 1, the next one from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 5 uh, through 16 is is the core, I think, of, of most of this. We're going to read 5 through 9 right now. So for, for, for Titus chapter 1, verse 5, The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as i directed you an elder must be blameless the husband of one wife a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient since an overseer is entrusted with god's work he must be blameless not overbearing not quick-tempered not given to drunkenness not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, one who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message message, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So that's that's the excerpt from Titus. Now, uh, Paul wrote also to Timothy and said this in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So a couple of uh, portions of scripture, Paul very consistent in his writing to these um, to these proteges of his, Titus and Timothy. You almost could think I'm reading the same passage over again because of how much I mean direct correspondence overlap there is, and yet no, it's actually two different portions of scripture. Now a couple of things that I want to draw here. He is talking about the oversight of the church, the governance of the church. Who is going to, at the local church level, who is going to be the governing body? Who are the leaders, the, the, the I'll say, top leaders of that church going to be? He calls them elders or overseers, bishops. We'll see, um, you'll, you'll see that term used. And I'll, in a few minutes, I'll make the case, I'll show that Paul seems to use these um, interchangeably, the, the, the Greek words that can be translated as overseer and bishop versus the Greek word for elder or elders, you see that he doesn't really make a big distinction between the two. And in fact, it seems to be the same. There's just a couple of different ways of saying sort of the same office. Again, I'll show that in a, in a few minutes from the scriptures. But let's, let's just go through this really quick. Um, first, we see that elders are set up um, I think in the next, in the next episode, we'll talk about some of the benefits and stuff of, of this setup. Um, but you don't really see a, a sort of top down. One man is sort of in charge, um, set in the scriptures, in the Bible. Now in today's world, you know, if, if the top dog is a, is a pastor, they're a, uh, they're, they're called a bishop. If they're called a, a prophet, uh, apostle is getting pretty popular. You know that you know you can pay money and join an organization and they'll de- deem you a an apostle. If you did that, by the way, try to get your money back because uh, you're not. <laughs> uh, God calls people to these roles to to a role of fivefold ministry or to a role of governance within the church. It is not a matter of popularity or family name and lineage, or. Um, or just paying your dues, or whatever. Now, it's not wrong to desire to be in a in a mode of leadership and governance. First Timothy three opens up with, "It's a trustworthy saying: if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task." He doesn't say, "Oh, you shouldn't desire that or anything," but then he gives all the qualifications and shows that well, you have to you have to measure up to specific qualifications to be able to take on this task. But it, it certainly seems, and as we'll see uh, through this study, it certainly seems that there's, there's more than one in, in many circumstances. Um, you have that local fellowship, that local body, and you've got some elders there to care for the, lo- the flock there, the local flock. So uh, in Titus, we're still in Titus. What are the qualifications? An elder must be, well, first he says elders in every town, right? So then he says, an elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. When we look at 1 Timothy, the overse- the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, right? And then in verse, uh, verse 4, he must manage his own family well and see his children obey him uh, with proper respect. He actually gives a why in First Timothy chapter three verse five. He says, "If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church?" So again, right, you, the the leadership and the oversight and these qualities that we should be um, we should be looking for in someone that is going to govern the the body of Christ. They should be governing their family first in that way. You don't have someone that you know can't handle, you know, their marriage because they're, you know, constantly flying off the handle or that they're, you know, either they're the, they're the guy that like comes barging in the door, you know, barking orders and nobody in the house can stand him or everybody's afraid of him or they're the guy that like they're not even a dude like when, when something bad happens the wife has to cuddle the hu- the husband, right? <laughs> uh, ladies out there, I don't know why you would marry a man that you're the one that has to hold him when bad stuff happens. But I mean, this is not the kind of person that God wants for his church. He wants people who are, um, are mature and balanced and able to govern properly. And that starts in the home. You can get a picture whether someone is even... Even eligible uh, to this kind of office by looking at their home life, and you know it doesn't say that you know when they're when their kids you know grown and got their own family that you know they're they're still in total lockstep with everything that you say, but obviously the children that are in the home, there is still governing in that home. You still have direct authority over the child in the home. They are they're not wild and disobedient. And they, they have proper respect. That doesn't mean every time they utter a sentence to their dad, they must say, yes, sir, mighty man, sir. But in general, they are respectful. They're not disobedient. They're not unruly. Again, because if you can't govern those closest to you, how are you going to govern even more people? Even you, if you had a big family, a family of 10, now you're going to govern a church of 50, 100, 5,000? And you can't handle the tin in your own home. uh, That is balderdash. The um, the scriptures very make that very clear, and it it really is just kind of logical and common sense if you think about it. So we need to look at that and make sure that they are again. Both of these say the husband of one wife, showing that you know this person is someone who is committed. They are established. we need that level of maturity, diligence, um, those kinds of things to to be able to have someone that can govern the church. Now, I'm back to Titus chapter 1. I'm skipping between Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3. So if you want to get your Bible, study this stuff out, I'd highly encourage you to do so. Uh, it's a very interesting topic and uh, one that I think if we got better in the American church, in the Western church, in any church, I think... Our our local assemblies and stuff would operate more smoothly. I think they'd be better. I think there'd be more protection both for leaders and for non leaders. Anyway, yeah, that's the way the Bible sets it up. So, uh, getting back to this, not wild and disobedient. Verse seven. Um, again, in uh, First Tim for I'm sorry, Titus one. I'm skipping around and can't figure out where I am. Titus 1 and 7, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. So again, kind of getting back to this, their their character. Not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. Not pursuing dishonorable gain. So when we go to 1 Timothy 3, we we'll kind of look at some of the corresponding things. Husband and one wife. Temperate. Okay, so not quick-tempered. Temperate, same thing. Self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not given to drunkenness. So, drunk. Not given to drunkenness. Literally, word for word there, right? Not violent. Both of them say not violent, right? Not quarrelsome. <laughs> not a lover of money. So one says not pursuing dishonest gain. Not and the other one says not a lover of money. So if we go through these things, right? Not overbearing. They need to be, um, a, a leader needs to be someone that is uh, approachable, right? Now, to a degree, some people, just because they're up on the stage, they're just, they're preaching, they're, they're going to think, oh, they're not approachable. Approachability is, is, not, is not something that, oh, this person doesn't think they're, they're approachable, therefore they are not approachable. The approachability is is kind of shown out over time. When someone can come to you with honest questions, come to you, maybe even challenge you, come to you and correct you. Now, I'm not saying the end of you know some brand new first time visitor comes to the church and they should be able to just roll up and just correct all the leaders there in the church. But somebody again who they're accountable to, they're able to correct them. They will take correction. They will you know even if they're in the right, somebody has an issue, they will hear the issue, they will consider it. They will pray on it, you know, these kinds of things uh, versus someone who's just, nope, it's my way or the highway. I'm the one in charge. I wear the pants around here. I'm the man of God. You know, these kinds, if you hear those kinds of um, phrases from your, your leader, step back and pray about it. Think about it. Or maybe they're not operating in this way, right? You know, just listen to me because I'm the man of God, or you're just supposed to obey your leaders or, well, I mean, really, does it I don't think that's the. It, it literally says don't be overbearing. It literally says don't do that, right? This goes kind of with not violent as well, right? You're not you're not getting irate. You're you know yelling, screaming. You can't control yourself, right? Talks about being quick tempered, drunkenness, right? Drunkenness. Obviously, you you start to, um, you can start to, um, cause yourself to not be able to think properly, to not be able to discern properly. Um, we, we don't want people who are, well, one is escapism, right, through drunkenness and drugs or whatever it might be, but also the other is um, your mental faculties. I mean, you need to be able to be there making decisions prayerfully, considering the Word of God, these types of things. You don't want somebody that is inebriated. Right, somebody who's given to oh no, I can't handle this problem. I need to go go have a drink. Uh, no, that's not the kind of person that you want um, over the the church of God. Of course, that inhibits their ability to govern when they aren't on their game. They're they're uh, reducing their mental faculties through drunkenness. Then it says not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. If you're in it for the money, uh, there's going to be there's go there will be a time where the money will come into conflict with the uh, the purity of true governance. So, um, there's somebody that needs correction. You look at the church rolls. They are the, one of the top three tithe payers, right? Th- they needed correction. But, well, we'll let it slide this time because... See, that's where it can become a problem. Now, again, I'm not saying that someone's faithfulness and consistency, listen, they've been here for 10 years. um, They are, you know, that those things shouldn't be considered when you're going to approach someone or handle a situation or whatever. But if we're in it for the money, if money is, is one of our top priorities, it will sway our decisions. It will cloud darken our ability to govern so drunkenness does this the, the the monetary thing does this being quarrelsome does this because when there's a time you make a decision or something like that and it really may have been the wrong one and you need to back off of it or maybe it was the right one. It was the right decision you made the right call and that was 10 years ago and now things have changed and we need to we need to come up off that because it wasn't a scriptural thing it was a judgment call. And men of God who are who are there to be elders, maybe I should have said that. An elder must be the husband of one wife. Husbands are male. Wives are female. The governance of the church is for for men. Sorry, um, that is the way it is in the Bible. That is the way it should be. I can go into a ton of different reasons why that might be. But you know what? The Bible says so. God said so. Uh, that does it for me. We are talking about the church. We're not talking about the, uh, the local Chick-fil-A chain. We are talking about the church, and if God said do it this way, then we should do it that way. Um, again, doesn't mean if there's a oh my gosh, our church has an elder that's a that's a woman, uh, we're, we're, we're fire and brimstone is sure to sure to follow next week. That's not necessarily true, but I would say it's best to go with what God suggests we do. <laughs> um, so again, the husband of one wife, it is. Uh, it is literally in the words, husband, wife. It's a man that's supposed to be an elder. Okay, um, <clears throat> so getting back to getting back to faculties and stuff, blameless. Right, this needs to be somebody who's upright, moral character, um, uh, not after the money. So they don't have things that you know things that are going to sway their opinion and their ability to govern. They're not overbearing, so they can be—they're moldable, teachable. They can consider things. They're not like, well, I made this decision, and that's the way it is, right? Not quick-tempered, you know, to be hurting people or, you know, I can tell you, um, being in leadership, I can promise you, 100%, your feelings are going to get hurt a lot. Uh, You are going to have people— who are angry, who are bitter, who are unthankful. That's one of the biggest ones. I just it really gets on me. Um, you can pour into somebody for a decade, love their family, help them monetarily, be there for them, crying with them, praying with them, you know, all kinds of stuff, hours and hours of counseling, and then one thing doesn't go their way. And, you know, all of a sudden, you're the worst person in the world, and they can't, you know, you're just nothing but, you know, uh, that is it not it might happen it will happen. you will have you will have people that are disloyal to you you will have people stab you in the back you will have people walk away from God after many may, sometimes many years and years together you're not only just brothers in Christ or sister, you know it's a, it's a sister that that has been on the, you know on the prayer team for forever and all of a sudden this thing con- it it doesn't matter. People are people. When people start getting carnal, when people start veering away from truly walking uprightly before God, there will be problems. There will be issues. Things like unforgiveness, things like unthankfulness. These are things that they will happen. And that's why you can't be quick-tempered. <laughs> you can't, you know? And with the drunkenness thing, yes, that that messes up your mental faculties to be able to judge and, and discern and this kind of stuff. But also, you don't want somebody given to escapism. They got to escape. They can't handle the pressure. Like, you can't handle the pressure. You don't need to be an elder. You can do lots of other things, but maybe. But don't be an elder, okay? So, he goes through these things that they should not do. Uh, He also adds in 1 Timothy 3, not a recent convert, or they may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. See, that's that's interesting because um, the... The idea that, no, everything's open to everyone. No, it's not. The Bible literally says, if you're newish, this this, this kind of ministry is closed to you. Now, yeah, there are levels in God. Absolutely, that is 100% true. Not in um, the sense of pure hierarchy, not in the sense of salvation. It's not we earn our salvation or there's degrees of salvation or anything like that. No, 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 no. not in that. But in calling and gifting in pos- I hate to even use the term position in the church because again it, it's, it 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 reeks of these these systems that men build where everybody's you know kissing booty to, to some dude at the top and they just you know kind of wave their wave their hand uh, in judgment and if you're on their good side you're in if you're not man you're toast. But just because people pollute it with that doesn't mean that it's not a true thing. A new convert cannot be a person in governance of the church and it's not just a new convert they could be there for 25 years but if they don't demonstrate this kind of character development they are unqualified to lead the church they're not qualified now if you put them in there that doesn't mean or if somebody is, is an elder or whatever it doesn't mean like you know that church is going to you know just just go down the tubes and god's going to send you know disease upon all the people or anything like that but there will be problems. There will be problems. There will be things that come up. There will be issues that probably didn't have to be that way, didn't have to be that way, but unwise um, unwise selection of leaders and these kinds of things. Uh, it should be done very prayerfully. It should be done uh, with, with the utmost scrutiny, definitely looking at these portions of Scripture and considering everything. Uh, so now let's go into some of the things that they should be. Uh, verse 8 of Titus 1, rather, they, they need to be hospitable. Well, <laughs> they, you know, I mean, they're, they're taking care of people. The church is people. The church is not the grounds, okay, the, the facilities pastor. And if you have the title facilities pastor, I'm not dogging on you, but I'm just saying, what? What in the world is that? Um, if you're also acting in this capacity, okay, whatever. They were trying to give you some kind of title. But... But the facilities—that's not the church. Okay, the, the the motor pool is not the church. Uh, the real estate holdings—that's not the church. The administrative—that's not the church. The church is people. So if you are not a person who is amongst the people, over their homes, they're in your home. You're 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 getting with them. You're in fellowship, right? Hospitable. What are you doing? I mean, if I am governing the church and the church's people but i can't stand being around them <laughs> uh that's not going to turn out real well cuz when as soon as somebody like i said before somebody's a problem somebody's an issue you don't know these people you don't know their kids you don't know their family you don't know the situation right you're just going to be like yeah no nope. you're you're a problem you're out of here whereas wait a minute they are causing issues and problems, but there's some, there's some backstory here. Give some grace. There's some, it's a lot easier to do when you're actually amongst the people. And right here in the scriptures, it literally spells out, you must be hospitable if uh, you you aspire to and want to be in that kind of role. Uh, I love, I can't remember the first time I ever heard it, but I love the the phrase, I, I the a shepherd, a shepherd should smell like sheep. A shepherd should smell like sheep. They should be amongst the flock. Okay? That's, that's the way it should be. Uh, it goes on and says, One who loves what is good. Hmm. One who loves what is good. Verse 7 of 1 Timothy 3 says, that They should have a good reputation with outsiders, right? This idea of you promote what's good. Now, good in whose eyes, right? Obviously, a person in the church governing the church, it's by God's definition. What is good here? Uh, The scriptures actually tell us that all scripture is God-breathed, right? Given by inspiration of God profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction of righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Fully equipped, right? Thruly furnished, fully furnished for every good work. So when we go to the scriptures and we see God likes this, God prefers this, God wants this, that's what's good. When he says, I don't want this, I don't like that, you shouldn't do this, that's what's bad. And a person who is an overseer, a bishop, an elder, right? In governing, ruling authority in the church, we should lean toward, we want what God wants and we don't want what he doesn't want. It doesn't matter if all the people voted and that's what they want. If God doesn't like it, sorry, folks, that's not the way it's going to be. Uh, Let's build a scriptural case for this. A real one, not twisting scripture, however you see fit. But that's the thing. They love what's good. They're self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined, right? Holy, separated, they're separated, they're they're consecrated, they're unto God, sanctified. They are people that should be of high moral character, people that are following after God, people that are on that journey with Christ and listening to His voice, obeying Him, walking with Him, uh, and disciplined, disciplined. They should should discipline their their time. They should discipline their money. They should discipline their relationships. They should be disciplined. So, very interesting how these things really overlap and and, and show that God is so concerned about His church, the, the oversight of His church, that He puts these kinds of requirements on the people who are going to govern. Now, look at this. Um, he must this is verse 9 of Titus 1 he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message he's been taught so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it this is uh, reiterated in 1 Timothy chapter 3 let's see the way it words it here uh a of temperate family well, no, oh, sorry. It's way back up in verse 2. Uh, it says hospitable, apt to teach, able to teach. So this is a requirement of those who are going to govern the local church, the body of Christ. They are responsible to be able to teach. So we'll get into that a little bit further. But the, again, on both sides, positively, Negatively, positively, by looking at the scriptures, building up, but also when challenges come, they are able to discern to rightly divide the word and be able to point out false doctrine, point out things that are, um, if you want to use the term, heretical, but but really even just just erroneous. That's an error. That's an issue. Like I'm teaching right now, right? The Bible does not lend itself to a lot of modern Uh, systems of church government. It does not condone it. It does not kind of spell it out that way, and that's why you see a lot of problems in churches because of this. Uh, So, going through a couple of scriptures here, Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they put their trust. So you see They're going around, and they are appointing these elders um, in each church. Acts 15, 6 and 7, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So when it was time to make decisions, when it was time to govern, they brought together who? The apostles and the elders. Acts 16, 4 and 5, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders. Elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Right? Strengthening in the faith, growing daily in numbers, these are things that we want. And they are um, more readily achievable when we have a proper governing system within the body of Christ. So uh, God-ordained or, God organization, God-ordained governance doesn't stifle growth. It doesn't stop uh, people growing in God and discipleship. It actually, it actually it helps it to flourish. Okay? We see very clearly that the decision-making body was the apostles and the elders. They were the ones who were in the local churches now the, the apostles there were there were a lot fewer of them and so you know they were they, they were folks that might be over you know many different works and things but not on a daily basis so again think about Paul writing a letter to the Galatians or Paul writing a letter to the Corinthians um he wasn't there I mean he it, it might have been years before he was he was back around um in that local place well who was governing in his in his when he was gone. It was the elders governing on the day to day, the week to week. And so the apostles would have that special insight from God. They'd have some of that governing authority, and they would get with the elders the local boots on the ground leadership, and they would come up with okay, here's here's something that, you know, is an issue, or here's something that we need to deal with. What do the scriptures say? Let's seek the face of God in prayer. What do we need to do? And then they would rule, and the people weren't supposed to obey. I mean, it says right there: the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Um, there is a governing authority. I said, I think I said this last time. I'll say it again: if you're in a place and you know you've got a, a an abusive, uh, hot-tempered leader or a, a domineering, uh, unapproachable, overbearing leader, pray about it. See if something changes. And if you can't get behind them then you shouldn't be there in that local assembly. You should be in a local assembly where you have faith and confidence in the leadership, where where you can have a relationship with them, and where when they go to prayer and the Word and come back with an answer on a specific topic, it doesn't have to be right there verse verse for verse. Sometimes there are things administrative or whatever, just ways of doing things in the church that it's... You try to best apply the Scriptures to a scenario, and that's what we're going with. And if you can't do that, you need to find a place where you can. And that's the main thing is it's not that you're stuck in it. Oh, I'm stuck here. This is my leader. And I... No, no. Just find a place where you can do that because that is the biblical model. So we, we see the qualifications. Most of it uh, revolves around uh, character. You, you see a lot of the character development, the character that God is trying to get to. He is uh, much less concerned about some of the things that we put, you know, uh, how... how how many hours of prayer are they are they how many visions are they seen last week? God doesn't care how many visions they saw. He wants somebody who's mature and balanced and when it comes to governance. They are able through prayer and the word to be able to govern properly. Obviously, he's taking it for granted that these are people who are prayerful. Uh, duh, because you're not even really a proper Christian if you're not in prayer and in the in the word regularly. Uh, so that's like a duh, but there's no, like, where well, you have to be in, in at least five of the nine gifts of the Spirit, or you have to have some degree from some college or university. So that's a big one that I wanted to mention. Glad I thought of it just now. Uh, you know, oh, well, what, you know, are you qualified? You have a degree from some seminary? I'm sorry, what seminary? What seminary do the elders in the, in the Book of Acts have to graduate from? Oh, that's right, none. Uh... That is a qualification that is man-made. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's bad that people go to a seminary. I'm saying that the idea that some school or university is going to confer upon you some degree, and that is something that then qualifies you, that's ridiculous. That's unscriptural, completely unscriptural. Um, the other thing is, it doesn't mean that you know certain people don't have to affirm your eldership. You know, if somebody. Oh, I don't like that dude across town, and you know, I don't think he's a real elder. So God doesn't care what you think. <laughs> God calls this person over here to do a work for Him, and you know, work in the kingdom of God, and 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 grow people, and disciple, and evangelize, and this kind of thing. And you don't like it, therefore, it's not legitimate. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize God had to check everything by you. See, if that's the case, if that's the kind of person that uh, we become. We are the kind of person that literally should not be an elder.' That's, that's what God is looking at, the character, the character of the people. So we, we need to understand this. Now, um, if we go and we look at, I want to look at First Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 19, really quick. I hope this is not boring. Um, I know it's a lot of Scripture and stuff, but it's so important. "'Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism.'" So, you know, the people people talk about um, taking and rebuking people publicly or whatever. I think it's a hard case to make that you do that for someone that is not in a governing position in the church. He says elders right here uh Obviously, if we're talking the, the, the sort of the Matthew 18 scenario where someone's gone to them privately and then someone else has gone now we brought it before the church right and then there needs to be some kind of public excommunication or something. I'm not talking about that. That's a you know fourfold process that people have gone through. And usually by the time you get to you know three or four, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna excommunicate themselves uh, because they can see the writing on the wall. It's just not gonna it's not gonna work out here. But the first and foremost, it says that the the, the elders, um, we should not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it's brought by two or three witnesses. Now, let me check this out. Two or three, first of all, witnesses. Not, I heard a rumor, and this other person heard the same rumor. Why would this be? Why would there be a higher bar, a bar like this set for an accusation against an elder? Well, I mean, duh right? Duh. If the if the devil can stop the work of God, he can put the brakes on the governance of the body of Christ, especially at that local leadership level, simply by having, a, you know, somebody, some crazy kook come in and make false accusations. Now we got to, you know, investigate this and look at this. I mean, he, he's, I mean, he's, he, come on, he's 80% to victory already. But when it comes to someone who has been identified as an elder, they meet these qualifications we're going through from Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, then guess what? Well, the Bible says two or three witnesses to an accusation. If that doesn't happen, don't even entertain it. Then once you have that, obviously investigate, and those who are actually sinning, they need to be reproved, but they need to be reproved publicly. Why? Why? so that the others may take warning. Now, again, I think that others there means other elders, right? Other people in the governance of the church realize we don't tolerate this kind of stuff. Why? They are in a position of great influence. And so if they are misusing that that, that position or sinning and this kind of thing, it needs to be much more Serious and needs to be taken more seriously and needs to be dealt with more harshly But since we're going to deal with it more harshly the bar is also set high to even get to that point So I mean we see that we see that there there is a special um, sort of circumstance for uh bringing accusations to elders. Some dude just walks up, and, oh, you, I think you were singling me out in your message. And I don't like it. And, you know, well, I mean, who else feels that way? Well, there's 14 people here who thought I singled them out. Um, maybe the word is just going forth in its conviction, right? Now, that's different than two people saw this person in the red light district, you know, exchanging cash to a young lady, <laughs> right without getting too graphic. Well, I mean, we were both there. We were out. We were driving through, and we saw we saw this person. Okay, that needs to be investigated, right? That needs to be taken seriously. And if there's sin publicly, they need to be reproved. Um, so, but but let's go back um, uh, just a couple of verses here. Verse 17. So this is still First Timothy 5, 5:17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. So again, there's this this idea of special attention, special care. Now I know in our society today, like we we disrespect authority. I mean, defund the police. People disrespect um, all layers of authority. Like if it's got a, a hint a sniff of authority on it, we don't like it. Where the Bible actually, it's the it's the opposite. When it's God-ordained authority, they should be treated with special honor. This is not just saying they get a double hand clap or a standing ovation at the end of their message. This is talking about monetary compensation, double honor. Um, I think there are versions of the Bible I, I could try real quick. 1 Timothy 5. 17 just to kind of look that up but if i can't find it real quick you can you can check check me out on that um but that's why and that's why it goes into um talking about the muzzling not the ox and all that because i mean it, it doesn't talk about giving them affirmation or encouraging them it says they are worthy of double honor and then it says, "You shall not muzzle the ox who is treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages." Right. Um, so, the point is again, we when people are in leadership, when people are in leadership, we have to understand that is a God ordained, God given um, position a God-given position. There are requirements for that. It is a very serious thing. And as the church, it is an absolute requirement that they meet these standards given in Scripture because the church is supposed to be obeying these people. The church is supposed to be honoring these people. They have a higher a uh, bar or standard for bringing accusations against them, right? So they need to be people who are of high character, maturity, balance, um, all of this stuff, right? The, the word blameless, you're kind of irreproachable or unaccused, right? We can't have people with, you know, shadowy things hanging around them. Oh, but they're such a great guy. Let's let's go ahead and get him in. Um, so uh, they must love good. We already talked about that. Holy... Uh, not overbearing or quick tempered. Uh, let's see. And again, I already mentioned the 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 need for um, having a good repu- reputation with those that are without. Right? Not just oh, all the church people like him, but yeah, he, he's kind of shady when it comes to. You know, non-church people, and you know he's he's he has got a his own business, and he's known to defraud people or take people, and you know not deliver on what he said he was going to. And these, like, this is this is just not this is just not something that the, that the church needs uh, to review again. Hosp- hospitable Acts two forty two and forty six, Acts five forty two, Acts twenty and twenty. These are, I mean, the church is a a community, a fellowship, and um obviously the leaders have to be the ones in, <laughs> leading in that. Um, so, yeah, uh, we talked about family life and how the family needs to be in order and, it, and they need to be a leader at home first. And that is an indication of how well the, they would actually be able to lead the church. The, um, the soundness of, of doctrine, being able to uh, break apart False doctrine. Break it down. Show why it's wrong. Teach and instruct from the word. Um, the word uh, apt to teach, what, what, what's translated apt to teach, is is, is the same word. It's the, the Greek word we can get the word didactic from. So it's literally like you know, line by line, breaking it down, really, you know, uh, almost like expository You know, teaching. Being able to instruct, not just... Pull a verse here, pull a verse here, pull a verse here, and then preach real good because you get, you know, real emotional and hyped up. And there's nothing wrong again with, you know, uh emotional preach. And well, I say emotional preaching, but like you know, exciting preaching and things like that. But that is not the same as being able to really let's compare this scripture with this scripture. Let's consider this over here, let's break it down, let that that is a that is a very different thing. Um, so didactic, didacticos, I think is the, I'm probably butchering that, but didacticos, it's New Testament thirteen seventeen. if you want to look it up yourself. But, um, so it, it's, it's very much, um, which comes from didactos, 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 I guess, uh, again, it, it, it's, it, it it's a, a training and a teaching and being able to equip others. So. This raises the question that I that I mentioned earlier about this elders, overseers, bishops. There, it's a couple of different Greek terms, but you know, is this is this different different categories of folks? Um, I don't think so. Um, I think the scripture very clearly uses these interchangeably. Um, so one one word for the the overseer, the bishop, uh, is episkopos, right? This obviously that's where we get like. Episcopal, um, and then we have uh, the idea of this being a, like a superintendent, right, someone who is in charge of things, right, and that is, you know, interesting, because that is a, a completely different word than the word elder, which is uh Again, I'm probably, I don't speak Greek, but I, you know, it's Greek to me. I'm probably butchering these uh, pronunciations, but honestly, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to get this up. It's super easy. You go out there, you look up a stinking word, you can see exactly what it means. You can look where it is in context in the Bible, and the pronunciation will leave to the professionals who uh, went to seminary. <laughs> um, but that's where the elders come from, and that's, you know, kind of a senior official or like a, where we can get the word like a presbyter from. So they are different words. They are different words. And so the question is, I mean, are they the same thing, though? So here's here's my evidence. I'll present it to you, and you can, you can study it yourself, of course. Um, Titus 1, right, 5 through 7, right? Paul, he's talking about overseers, right? Remember, we already read um, some of this here. Let's go to 5 through 7 right? The reason I left you in Crete, so that you can leave what was unfinished, appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, husband of one wife, right? And then he says in verse 7, since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. So literally right in the middle from verse 6 to 7, no explanation, nothing. He just switches and says, oh, and since an overseer is entrusted, I mean, he's using the words interchangeably. So he switches from that word um presbyteros uh that is translated as elder he switches immediately in the next verse and goes to episkopos which is overseer or bishop the word overseer and bishop um same word uh in the greek so it doesn't you know it's really odd it's really really odd that he would do that if you can't use them interchangeably, right? And then to support that, if we go to Acts chapter 20, when you look at Acts chapter 20, this is um, even more solid uh, evidence, I think. Acts chapter 20, verse 17, uh, he comes to to Ephesus. It says, um, Now, From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come in. Right? And when they came in, he said to them, That's verse 17, Acts 20 and 17. Toward the end, he's talking to the elders, he's giving them charge, he's saying different things to them. Look at one of the things he tells them. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you. Overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Then he goes on and talks about the the fierce wolves are going to come in and not going to spare the flock, and that's why they need these people there overseeing and teaching. Now he tells the elders, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Uh, so he he he, <laughs> he tells the um, let's get this in the Greek, just because it's fun to try. Why not try? It stretches your stretches your imagination a little bit. So he tells the presbuteros that the Holy Spirit has made them episcopus. So so again, it, it's elders, overseers, bishops; these are interchangeable terms. It's the governing body, the governing um, rulers of the church, who are the I'll say the highest called the te- the the teaching ministry the um the oversight the um the, the buck stops here that's that's what he is talking about that's what he's talking to so again he's talking to the elders and he says hey you guys are overseers and we have Titus 1 where Paul says uh hey I'm talking about elders and then I switch and say overseers and it's the exact same thought so i think some good some good evidence that uh, they are all one and the same thing. They, there's not all these. There's you know we don't need to make layers and layers and layers and layers where where God doesn't have layers uh, within the church. Obviously, in uh, 1 Peter five one through four, I think we already covered that last uh, in the last episode that Peter refers to himself as an elder he writes to the elders and he, re- he refers to himself as an elder John also refers to himself as an elder so we see there can even be overlap between elders and fivefold ministry gifting we know these guys were apostles but they were also they were also elders so it's not one or the other uh, we we need to realize that that God doesn't have as many of these clear like oh you're a this you're a that it's much more high level basic and we have elders now that does not mean there's there's zero there's either leaders and non-leaders there is sort of a subcategory of leaders called deacons first timothy chapter 3 8 through 13 so this is immediately after the discussion we 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 left off the verse 7 we're going right into verse 8, first uh, Timothy 3. It says, Deacons likewise are to be men, so men, of uh, worthy of respect, sincere not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. So you're going to hear a lot of the similar requirements. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, temperate, trustworthy, and everything. So again, see... They, they don't just look at the man and be like well I mean his wife is woo but hey he's a good guy they consider the wife as well well why well when you're in leadership you know' you're, you're trying to do things confidential and you're there's things you're dealing with and then your wife's a gossip uh that's not gonna work out too well you're in leadership you know this is the way things need to be going and then you're, you're trying to direct the church and your own spouse underhands you, undermines you, right? That's not going to look so great. That doesn't mean you're lost. That doesn't mean you're a a major failure, but probably should work more on the home before we start stepping into governance within the church. So, and again, same thing for the elders, but he's talking about deacons now. So in the same way, their wives, uh, right? Not malicious talkers, temperate. So temperate, balanced, balanced and trustworthy in everything. So an overall trustworthy, someone full of integrity. Um, verse 12, a deacon must be the husband of one wife, must manage his children and household well. Same requirement as the elders. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So this is a different word, diaconeo, and it's more to wait upon, to wait upon, to be an attendant, to serve, right. The the interesting thing here, you don't see the the stronger language of the apt to teach being able to, you know, uh, positively encourage and admonish and build up people, or to be able to refute false doctrine and stuff. So you don't see that language here with deacons, and. You, you see more of a service, a doing, a service type um, ministry for, uh, for the deacons. And I, I think one way to think of it is the elders, uh, I mean, business terms, okay? The elders are the senior executives. The, the deacons are more like the managerial side. Okay? It doesn't mean they're not they don't have any vision, they don't do anything, but they are much more, you know, roll up the sleeves hands-on ministry whereas the elders there they are more of the of the teaching of the of the preaching of the word um they are more of the, you know, the casting of the vision as well as the uh, as well as the governance and oversight of the church. So one way to think of that is, and again, that's just using a business. Please don't you know go and say, well, wait a minute. If I look at the uh, the corporate structure of Best Buy, it's, you know, you got the president, the CEO. Well, who's that in the church? And then you got the board of directors. Well, who's that in the church? I'm not saying that it's a one-to-one because it absolutely is not. I'm saying this is one way to think about it. You're, you've got your directors and, and, and leaders and, okay and then and and they they might do 10% hands on and 90% other stuff then you get to the managerial side and they might they're probably going to be more like let's say 50-50 right they're actually doing work but then they also have to manage and stuff and then you have I'll say the employees and those folks with no managerial responsibility they're not doing oversight maybe a little bit here and there as they kind of you know grow and develop in that but they're mostly doing that's normal that's completely that's nothing bad about the employee nothing bad about the manager nothing super awesome about the executive or the directors or whatever that's just their role and responsibility and in the church it's a very similar thing there are layers of leadership within the church the bible shows what appears to be two elders and deacons um and uh i think again we don't need to overcomplicate stuff and we don't need to uh, we don't need to overthink this and turn it into some kind of like oh well you know if I can just put in my time and become a deacon within ten years maybe I could be an elder I mean that kind of stuff is just that's not what it's about it's a heart of service it's an attitude of desiring to see the will of God and to see people built up what is the mission of the church it is not to get the hierarchies straight the mission of the church is to evangelize and disciple the world so we need to have that in mind but if you go to the book of Acts um chapter, chapter six, I will give a, a quick um, a quick idea of the difference or a picture of the difference between, say elders and deacons. Acts chapter 6 verse 1 Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions so there's an operational function stuff going on people coming distributing keeping tally and track of who got what and what we you know how much inventory do we have and what stuff like this the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So they're they're saying, No, we need to be preaching and ministering in the word. We don't need to be doing some of the operational stuff. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you a, a couple of losers that we can just like throw this on and be done, wash our hands of this menial work that we don't even care about. Why are you wasting our time? That is not what he said. Listen to the qualifications (laughs) for guys waiting tables. Okay, check this out. They have to be men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Right? That's who we will appoint to this duty. Uh, But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. What they said pleased the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorus, uh, Nicanor, and... Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles. They prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests uh, became obedient to the faith. So again, uh, uh, oh man, something to try and possibly stop revival. Let's stop revival. Stop the growth of the word. Stop the, the great evangelism that's happening. What's gonna stop it? Well, get caught up in these administrative duties. They said, no, we want we're gonna find some guys that are they're they're awesome guys, they're full of the full of wisdom and the spirit of God and have a good rapport amongst the people. But we are gonna devote ourselves to what God called us to. Part of the church is to wait these tables, but we are not the ones necessarily who have to do it. That's the point. So we appoint this second layer of leadership people that still need to be, right, these qualifications, but their role is not to minister in the preaching and teaching of the Word the way ours is, so they can now do a more operational function. And that's, I mean, really, that's the picture of the difference between deacons and elders. And it doesn't mean that elders can't, you know, do anything operational. Oh, I'm above that, that. That attitude means you shouldn't be an elder, right? Because elders are supposed to be hospitable, right? You can't just be hospitable if you're just pontificating great thoughts and you're in prayer and you're in the Bible and you never never talk to people. Shepherds should smell like sheep. That that includes elders. But when it comes to, again, administrative operational things, the bulk of that should go to people who are not ministering in the Word and focusing on that um, that kind of ministry and that kind of of service to the body of Christ. So um, both of these are completely scriptural. Obviously, they have to be, you know, tested and proven people. It says that right there. Um, <clears throat> these are not just like, oh, I'll just pick all any old schlups to get this done. That, that is not, nope, that, nope, nope. That is not uh, what it is about. And so I think um, we should have this kind of attitude approaching the governance of the body of Christ, that it's a team effort. There are there are a few layers of leadership. And we should respect this and know that it is scriptural. It is scriptural. <clears throat> it is possible that deacons could sometimes maybe be like elders in training, people that are, you know, coming up with that burden of leadership. And before you go from I'm not a leader at all to now I'm Got all the responsibilities of an elder. Hey, why don't we? Why don't you grow in this a little bit, right? Um, that's one way that deacons uh, could be looked at. Um, so there's a lot of the um, there's a lot of this idea that the elders are more in that teaching, preaching, ministry of the word, whereas the uh, the deacons are more operational, a uh, service type ministry. So, um, I think we're going to end it right there. I think we're going to end it right there. I've got a few notes here on uh, some of the roles and responsibilities in general of of the of the elders and deacons, and also um, some general notes on why you know why this structure. Why not just make one guy in, in charge of everything? Um, you know why not? Because. Uh, uh, we just don't get bogged down in bureaucracy, right? Just one guy—he says it. He, he, he hes the guy. He's the man. He's the man called God behind the pulpit. But rather, there is a reason—some good reasons—why God uh, established the setup that He did. The setup of layers of leadership multiple people in that vein. And so I think next time that's what we'll go through. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about why you know do it this way, why have elders and deacons sort of spread around like this and what are some of those roles and responsibilities that they can they can serve in that we see from we see from scripture some ways that they minister to the to the flock. And then finally next time I think we will talk about Jesus and his view on authority. How did Jesus talk about the authority in the church? When we go to the red letters, we get there in the gospels, right? He did talk about it, and he had a very interesting take, I think, on uh, on authority and how that how that works. So next time, we are going to talk about that, those things, and continue on. So I hope this has helped you. I really... Again, the, the scriptures, I've gone over them, gave the references. Please take some time to study it. Take some time to look at it. If you disagree, comment. Let us know. Um, I'd love to, and I try to read through the comments and stuff on on our YouTube channel. And uh, podcast at com. If you got more of a lengthy, you want to shoot an email over and uh, have something addressed or whatnot, podcast at breadbreakers.com. If you're in the vein of you're looking for some good Leadership within the church, good leadership that is um, that loves and that feeds the flock and that is you know trying to live out the qualifications of deacons and elders and things like that. And you're not getting it where you are. Email us, you know, I, wherever you are. We'll try to pray and and find see if we have contacts or people that can we can direct you to some places. Um, because the main thing with this is the flourishing of the body of Christ. We can get in the details so much that we can't get back out. Well, I've gone into the details, now I'm going to jump back out. The reason for this, overall, the overarching reason, is so that the Word of God can continue to be preached, that the Kingdom of God can continue to, to flourish There's evangelism going on. There's discipleship going on. But there are real needs on an operational or administrative level. There's real service and ministry that has to be done with families, with individuals. And so there has to be a good structure within the community, within the fellowship, to be able to handle these things. And that's why this very practical, uh, nitty-gritty teaching can help expand what God wants to do on a kingdom level, on a kingdom level. So I love you guys. I hope this has helped. hope this has been uh, very both interesting and enlightening. And uh, we will catch you on the next episode.